Well, good morning, Gitwal. It's so good to be with you today. I hope you've had a great spring break week. All of you young people that have been out of school and are looking forward to the last half of school coming up. Uh, we're going to continue today in our, this season of Lent with this series called Strongholds. Now we've learned that over the last three weeks that one of the primary weapon of the enemy is to establish strongholds in our lives. And we realize that in that we live in a spiritual world. It's a world where a battle is taking place right now, this second this day between God and the forces of darkness. Satan and the fallen angels have a plan to deceive us from the truth, divide us from one another, and ultimately to destroy our lives. They want us humans engulfed in these strongholds. Now, strongholds are patterns of thinking, their habits, their attitudes, they're built on lies rather than truth. The good news in all of this is that Jesus has won this war and he equips us Christians to overcome any stronghold from, that we face here and now. Now, we learned in week one that we overcome strongholds through prayer. In week two, Jonathan looked at the stronghold of religion and the danger of us following rules, regulations, and traditions without a total surrender to Jesus. Last week, Hunter talked on the, the stronghold of pride and how that wreaks havoc in our life, but more importantly, the power to break pride with confession and humility before God. And this week, we're going to examine the stronghold of accusation. Now, accusation is one of the primary tools of Satan in his bunch. There are spiritual enemies. It is a great danger to all of us. We fallen human beings face accusation from Satan and his forces daily and from other human beings around us. And because we are all fallen, we are all sinful, we find ourselves tempted to come with accusations against others as well. But accusation is both harmful and it's distracting. I do want to point out, however, that we do confuse this stronghold of accusation with another one, and that is the stronghold of judgment. They're very similar but they do not have the same meaning. And the way our current culture is in this phase of redefining terms and everything, we seem to get these two totally mixed up all the time. I wanna take a look at this. Let's look at accusation. Accusation is a statement saying that someone has done something morally wrong, illegal or unkind, or the fact of accusing someone. Now, our world is full of this, it's full of accusations. One nation accuses another, one person accuses another, one politician accuses another. But the problem we have is there are also a multitude of accusations within our church. Accusations that are directed in malice toward human beings. They direct our thoughts and our actions. 
They're directed at the purest life, such as the life of Christ, as well as against the life of the most wretched sinner. Now, what about judgment? Judgment is this. It's just a formal decision of finality. Judgment is a conclusion. It's when we reach a final decision about someone. That's it. That's the end. It's final. And in our society, we compare these two words all the time. Let's go no further than our legal arena. An accusation would be what we would consider an indictment. It's bringing charges against. But until that accusation is put through a presentation of evidence, it's just that. It's an accusation. And as in a court of law where evidence is presented, either a judge or a jury makes a final decision whether or not the accusation is true. And that final decision is called judgment. That's it. It's final. And the problem today is that we have accusations thrown around everywhere, and we treat the accusations just based on that, that it's truth. Our society is prone to turn an accusation into a judgment before any evidence is presented. Look no further than our news and even our social media. Accusation after accusation, judgment after judgment, but they are not the same. Do you see the difference? Now, looking at Scripture, the source of all accusation is the accuser, and that accuser is Satan himself. It is the fallen angels that partner with him. An accusation is hard, it's brutal, it's malicious, but it's clothed in righteousness. Is false righteousness. An accusation against people, <coughs> excuse me, has an affinity with the flesh, but it's not the flesh. It is spirit. And I want us to understand one thing today. We fight the spirit of accusation, and it is a fallen, evil spirit. It is the root of spiritual warfare. We fight this each and every day. Now let's take a deeper look at this spirit of accusation that we, we battle. This spirit has more than one objective. Its first aim is to destroy you. Then to destroy your brother or sister whom it affects. Then to destroy your surroundings so they can receive the same spirit as you, the same evil roots, the same bitterness, and in the end, it destroys all of God's work. In how many places has the spirit of accusation not entered our culture and pitted one of us against another with the results that are horribly separated out of bitterness not out of love, everyone thinking he or she is right. Because the one who accuses must have reason for his accusation, which is why this spirit seems to have such a solid foundation on which to stand. Our human flesh, our flesh wants to what? We want to live in pleasure, wants to live in comfort, wants to gorge itself with passions and desires, but take note of the accusation. 
The spirit of accusation comes immediately when you bear a grudge against someone and it holds little sermons inside of you. It sets your memory in motion, dragging up all the evil that it can lay a hold of, and it adds up everything into one large sum total package of accusations against someone's life. Its aim is to paint that person's life in a picture as black as possible. But the problem we have in the church, that this spirit is not just limited to the world, that it is rampant among believers as well. And the terrible thing that it transports in the church, people into this some type of justified righteousness. Because here's what it does. It coldly expose, exposes the other person's mistakes, their weaknesses, their lack of holiness, their lack of understanding. And if you listen to this spirit of accusation, you'll realize it's not finished in one day and then it stops. It comes back, it drags up matter again and again, puts fresh blame on the other person, comes up with new suspicions and sees everything in the worst light. The spirit of accusation will not leave you alone. Its goal is to be firmly entrenched in you, and one day, guess what? You have to let that out, what is implanted in you. You go to others, and you accuse them. You have become an instrument in the hands of this evil. You raise your voice, you verbally beat up your friend, your family, your enemy, you think you are just and righteous, but bitter anger is flowing out. Others listen to it because they can't discern the voices that are coming from you. This spirit has worked so long in you that it has firmly established a bitter root. And its fruits are devastating. Just think of the person that annoys you the most. And the accuser, accuser makes you think often, very often, about him and her, him or her. These thoughts are injected into your mind when, you're, when your brain feels like it's empty. And you don't just get annoyed, you get angry. You become gossipy. You become the great source of defilement wherever you are because you sow suspicion and get others to receive this same spirit. You become despondent yourself because your life, as you realize it now, is not pure. Then the spirit of accusation does what he does best. He turns on you. When you pray, this spirit will accuse you for your wretched life and will mock you and mock your prayers then if you want to be a testimony or testify for Christ, it calls you a hypocrite. You see how this works? Remember, Satan accused God first and cast doubt on his word to Eve. Let's look at Genesis 3.1. Famous line, did God actually say? Did God actually say? You see, Satan and his bunch are still getting us to question this today. How? By asking things like this. Do you, do you really believe what's written in this Bible? 
How can you trust that the words here are true? He goes on to tell Eve in the next verses, because they, eat, she's eaten, she wants to eat the fruit, right? And he says, you will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Nobody can be like God. But you're certainly going to know good from evil. So you see how he deceives and gives you just a little bit of the truth to hook you. So you can hear this type of language in our culture today. Listen to these things that we hear. You're fine. God doesn't mean for our modern world to take these words literally. I mean, after all, the Bible was written for a, for a different era, right? There's, there's no literal hell. Do what's good for you. You do what you want to do. God made you this way, and you should just live like he made you. Don't let anyone tell you you're a sinner. You do you. You're okay. We hear that language today, don't we? Satan accusing God even to us. But the problem we have, we know we human beings have, is this three-letter word called sin, and it eats us up. Sin makes us follow the one who deceived the humans in the first place. And then we turn on each other and become accusers ourselves. Right after Adam and Eve sinned and God confronted them, what happened? Adam, God asked Adam this question, did you eat the fruit from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? And Adam, who's now a sinner, takes on this accuser role and looks at God and says this. The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. You know that woman you made for me, God? She made me do it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, he goes to Eve, what is this that you have done? And Eve's accusing too. The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Adam accused God. He accused Eve and Eve accused Satan. See, this vicious cycle of accusation began all under the deception and plan of the evil one in the first place to get us to sin and get in this, uh, in this state. And the Bible is full of these type stories. We read story after story of accusation throughout all of Scripture. One in particular is where Satan accused Job before God and cast doubt on Job's righteousness. Let's go to Job chapter 1 verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered, the Lord said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on earth, a blameless, an upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? 
Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has, all his stuff is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And we know this story. Satan accuses Job before God and says, Okay, you know, if you just took everything away from him, he'd curse you. And God says, You want to bet? Job is stripped of everything. He loses everything, loses family, possessions. He's sitting in ashes with sores all over his body. And he has three friends that come and they start throwing accusation against accusation, telling Job, Job, you had to have done something wrong to get in this position. In the end, we know Job questions, but he never accuses God, nor does he curse him. God proved Satan, the accuser, wrong and restored Job his life, a wife, family, fortune, and gave him much more than he had before. We see in Zechariah chapter 3, we're presented with a vision of Joshua, the high priest, standing in the temple. Now, a high priest would wear this beautiful raiment, this garment that would be purple and spotless, befitting the priest as he makes the sacrifices. But in this vision, Joshua is covered with filth. And Satan accuses him and says he has no right to be offering sacrifices in that condition. Look at chapter 3. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to what? To accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. See, then the Lord tells an angel to remove those filthy garments from Joshua. And he says, Behold, Joshua, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. See, this is the weightiest charge against us believers. Satan says that our sin should deny us the right to stand before God. And we believe them sometimes. God concedes that we are unworthy, but instead of sending us away, he removes our sin. And instead of us having filthy garments, he clothes us in Jesus. Church, this is why we should guard our tongues and our hearts against accusations against anyone. Why? Because each and every one of us is unworthy. But Jesus himself covers our unworthiness and replaces our filthy garments with his clothing of himself. And this is a struggle for all of us each and every day. We struggle with this sin, particularly the sin of accusation. You know, I, I was talking to somebody between the last service and, you know, 
as I was a former lawyer and I think back through my training, law school and 19 years of practicing law was nothing but to go accuse someone of something each and every day because that's what you do. And I look at the, 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 the law that God gave the Hebrews in Deuteronomy. I want us to look at this, and I think there's a purpose for this. He says this in Deuteronomy 19:15, A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. This is the basis of our legal system today. The problem is we are not even following this. We want, to, we want to accuse and judge somebody based on one thing and with no witnesses. See, we're so inundated with our sin that we throw accusation against accusation against each other. And God knew, knew this and he knows it now. I do believe that's why he declared that you've got to have two or more people to come against an accusation for somebody. In our fallen state, we move more often to judgment before any accusations ever proven. And don't get me started on social media. It is the breeding ground of accusation. If you don't believe me, go look at Twitter today. Politicians going after one another. Christian pastors arguing over scripture and theology and calling each other heretics when someone else doesn't even believe what they believe. There's nothing worse than to see Christians go after each other on social media when they don't even know each other personally. It's bad enough people you know, but somebody you don't even have an opportunity to sit down with and have a conversation with that you go on an attack on a social media platform. A good friend pointed out to me not long ago that when we begin to throw out accusations, human nature catches us all. See, we write a story in gaps when we don't know the facts. Human beings, we are wired for story. We want to know the story, right? We want the complete story. And even if we have one little fact, we tend to just write it in our mind. We create it. That's how we are wired. But the problem is we're fallen sinful creatures and the story we end up creating usually is not what happened in the first place. This is a dangerous pattern we're living in. These days, people accuse God, saying that he can neither be loving nor righteous for letting so many bad things happen in the world. The accusation against him is this, if God is love as it's written about, he would prevent all this. You see, Satan accuses us before God, and he causes us to go after one another and accuse. He's busy everywhere, folks. We notice that the essence of his being is evident by those who are apprehended by this spirit of accusation. They are busy everywhere. 
backbiting, spreading suspicious thoughts, evil thoughts to garner support for their judgments. And once they've gained support from others, they are greatly strengthening in this spirit. That's scary. The spirit is a tormenting spirit to those who are possessed by it. It continually preaches those little old and spicy sermons in our heart. As a result, we find ourselves in a bad relationship with both God and others. And the only thing that can comfort us more is nourishment from the same spirit and from those who agree with us. But this comfort is sorely a source of more annoyance, more pain, more agony. And if you have opened yourself up to a bitter spirit of accusation, it's time to get rid of it. How do we do this? First of all, we have to investigate where the source of this spirit has come from. Because as long as this spirit is present in you, it is not going to be cleansing. You've got to utterly deny this spirit. You've got to curse it out of your life. You must refuse to listen to its accusations when it paints everything as black as possible. Because we've got to remember to be willing to forgive as Christ forgave. You've got to be willing to remember the evil no longer. Only then can the sins that each of us have committed, can they be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And this is going to be a fight for our life. We've got to pray up and have a battle against it. Go read Ephesians 6. Begin by praying to God against this spirit that he remove it from you because this is a matter of life and death. And scripture is very clear. Do you know if you do not forgive your brother or sister from the heart, we can't expect forgiveness ourselves. This is a heart matter. But if you are battling this spirit, know this. Jesus has defeated this and has power over this spirit. And it is only through him that any of us have a chance of defeating this. Let's look at Revelation 12, verse 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. Satan accuses us day and night. But now that Jesus has silenced the accuser, who will dare bring legal charges against us? The answer is fourfold. Satan keeps jabbering. We accuse ourselves. The world comes against us, reproaches us. We feel attacks from within the church. Look, anyone with public visibility is liable to critique today. Whether politicians, physicians, pastors, even those impatient drivers we meet on the street every day. In Paul's day... Censors had great power to accuse and ultimately ruin a person. And similarly, there are people that, who wish to do the same today. 
But here's what Paul says in Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who is indeed interceding for us? Although many accuse, hear me church, God does not. Do you know that God does not throw an accusation out at all? Not one. He does not accuse because Jesus took care of this. Jesus died for our sins and rose for our justification. It means we are clothed with his righteousness. Now he sits at the right hand of the Father. His work is complete. The right hand of God is a position of authority. And here's the judicialness of it. Judiciousness. It is in the intercession. Jesus intercedes for us. He pleads our case with the Father in order to assure us that the benefits that he died for are applied to us. That's amazing. With Jesus as our advocate, no one can condemn us. You know, when there's judgment day, we will not be condemned. We are clothed with Jesus. God will look and see his son through us. But the problem is, here's where we stand today in our world. People, we have to decide what side we're going to be on. Are you going to stand with the accuser or with the one who forgives and gives grace and mercy? That's a no-brainer to me. If you end up on the side of the accuser, your, your eternity is with him and his group in a lake of fire, and I can imagine it's an eternity of accusation after accusation. If you are in Christ, you're here clothed in righteousness, new heaven, new earth, sin no more. Church, let's don't listen to the world, please. As we are accused by Satan, come to Jesus. He is the only hope. He is our only hope for fighting the great accuser. As we are accused by the world out there, what do we do? We forgive them, but we also show them Jesus. And Christians inside our walls, in our body that Jesus calls his ecclesia, his called out ones, as we accuse each other, what do we do? We forgive as Jesus forgives us. It's up to us. We're going to... Uh, have a final prayer that we're going to pray together. It'll be on the big screen. But I want to say this. We all battle accusation. 
we have accused, we have been accused, and Satan's behind it, but we, we willingly go along and we can, we can battle this spirit of accusation. But we've got to have the armor of God with us. And there are many of us today here that need to repent of this. So the prayer, the uh, praise team is going to come up. We're going to say a final prayer. And when they start their song, these rails are open for you to do business with God. So I invite you, would you stand? We're going to say this prayer together. These are actually two psalms that I kind of put together because I think it covers everything that we're looking for today in this. So let's, let's pray this prayer together. Be not silent, O God of my praise, for wicked and deceitful mouths are opened against me, speaking against me with lying tongues. They encircle me with words of hate and attack me without cause. In return for my love, they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer. So they reward me evil for good and hatred for my love. But you, O God, my Lord, deal on my behalf for your name's sake, because your steadfast love is good, deliver me. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in the truth, in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Amen.